Amen. Yeah, give him a hand, man. I'll tell you, you can have a seat. We're so blessed, aren't we, with the great worship that we have here? Yeah, just so encouraged. Thank you, guys. <clears throat> well, hey, it's great to be with you again uh, this morning. I look forward to exploring God's Word together. We're taking a break from Genesis for a few weeks, and today we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-11, to so I'd encourage you to go ahead and turn there. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-11. to You know, in our world today, don't you need some encouragement? I don't know about you, but I need encouragement in my faith. Uh, but I also need to be challenged because I can excel still more, can't you? In a fo- as, as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what I hope to accomplish this morning. I hope you're encouraged, but I hope you're also challenged as we interact around God's Word. You know, I love this time of year. Does anybody know why I might like this time of year? Who could? Hey, who said football? Yes, football. How about it? I love football. My wife and I love watching college football. We're LSU fans. Don't hold that against us. Uh, And we love watching uh, college football as well. And you know, over the years, I don't know about you, but I've also enjoyed watching Super Bowl commercials. Remember when they used to be good? And as I was thinking of our time together this morning, I I went back to Super Bowl 37, which is probably hard for you to believe I could think of that. (laughs) But I remembered a FedEx commercial, and it was a spoof on the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks. You remember that movie? Where Tom Hanks uh, works for FedEx and uh, his plane goes down, and he gets washed up on shore on this deserted island with some of the boxes that he was supposed to have delivered. And he struggles, right? He struggles to survive for years on that island. He finally uh, is rescued. And so this is when the commercial picks up. It's supposed to be Tom Hanks, and he's a committed FedEx deliverer. So he's got one of those boxes from his time on the island, and he insists on delivering this box. So he goes to this woman's home, and and she thanks him for delivering this package five years late. And he goes, but you know, before I leave, I just have to know what was in that box. And she goes, really, not much. But she opened it and said, there's a satellite phone, a global positioning device, a compass, a fishing rod, water purifier, and some vegetable seeds. (laughs) Now, if you, or if I was Tom Hanks at that point, well, how would you be feeling, right? Uh, My countenance would have dropped. I would have said, oh my gosh, if I would have used those resources, my time on that island could have been so much different, right? Well, I wanted you to see this morning, in the same way, God has given us more than just a grace salvation that allows us to go to heaven when we die. God didn't just say, hey, thanks for believing in my son. See you in heaven. I hope life goes well for you. Okay? He gave us all the resources we need to thrive and grow as a Christian while we're here on earth before we go into his presence. Unfortunately, you know, I've been a 
Christian now. I was thinking about this this morning. I've been a Christian now for 45 years. I became a Christian when I was one. But uh, no. <laughs> no, just kidding. But that's a long time. And over the years, what I've seen, unfortunately, is so many believers struggling in the Christian life. They've left the FedEx box unopened. They're not taking advantage of God's resources. And as a result, they're struggling instead of thriving as a Christian. So this morning, what I'd like to do is, uh, for those who are note takers, I want to give you three points. It's pretty simple. God's resources, my responsibility, and God's reward. God's resources, my responsibility, and God's reward. The only way that God is allowing us, really, or designed us to thrive is by growing. By growing in our faith. And the fruit of that, you'll see in a minute, is we'll be unshakable. And we need to be growing regardless of what our circumstances are right now. It makes no difference that COVID is coming back. It makes no difference that our culture is all messed up. It makes no difference that the world is in turmoil. It's not an excuse for you and I to be growing. We are expected to grow. And so we'll look at that <clears throat> this morning. So let me read verses 1 through 4 and expand on my first point, God's resources. This is what's in the FedEx box. Simeon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with those with, uh, with, uh, with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You know, there's four things that I want you to see here. There's four items in God's presence of salvation for us to use as we live on this time on earth. And the first is in verse uh, 2, where it says, <clears throat> to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That word knowledge is not your typical word for knowledge in Greek. It's not talking about just information. This is an intensified form of the Greek word for knowledge. And it's a special, intimate, and personal relationship that you and I get to share with the God of the universe. We can't let that go over our head. We have an amazing privilege as a result of embracing Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. We have the ability to know God in a way that others who haven't done that cannot. We get to enjoy an intimate relationship with God. Now I remember when I was growing up, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, I had great parents, great family, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I did fear God. I thought that He might zap me if I do something wrong. I believed that He was there. 
But I, it never even crossed my mind that I could have a relationship with Him. Do you understand that? You and I have the privilege of developing an intimate relationship with God because we've embraced His Son as our Savior and Lord. You know, this is what Jesus is talking about in John 10.10 when He said, I came that you might have what? Anybody remember that passage? I came that you might have life. And He describes what that life is. It's super abundant living. What is that super abundant living? He describes it further in John 17.3 and this is the life that you may know God. If you want to thrive and grow as a Christian, you and I must be taking advantage of developing our intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. One scholar says this about this concept. He says, seeking God is not just a one-time affair. It must become a continuing lifestyle. If believers want to deepen a friendship with Him, You know, when you and I have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior and God, that's not the end. That is the beginning of the privilege of developing a relationship with Him that goes on for eternity. And so you and I must take advantage of that resource because Jesus said in Matthew 28, I'll be with you every minute of the day until the job is done. And so we get to walk with Him in a moment-by-moment daily basis. The second resource in our FedEx box and God's gift of salvation is actually back in verse 1. It says a faith of equal standing. The same faith. Now sometimes when you read the Bible, you go, man, they just had amazing faith, right? But this text is telling us we have the same faith that they did. (laughs) We have the same opportunity to believe. Now this is not referring to the content of faith because for the Greek people here, there's no article there, so it's probably not referring to the content of faith. It's probably referring to the ability for us to reliantly trust in and express faith in God and His promises. This passage is telling us that you and I have that same privilege that all other Christians who've gone before us had. We get to express faith and believe in God and His promises. Amazing uh, privilege. The third thing in verse 3, if you notice again, it says He's given us His divine power. His divine power. So that we can live uh, in a way that brings Him glory and honor for, uh, in, in every area of life. And this word power, again, is another interesting word. It's dunamis in Greek. And it's from that word we get our English word, what? Dynamite. Okay? It's a supernatural, spiritual power. Where is that power? Where does that power come from? It doesn't come from my resolve to live the Christian life. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus uses the same word in Acts 1.8 when He says, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You know, when you and I trusted in Jesus as our Savior and God, the Holy Spirit came to take up residence in us. And He's the one who energizes us and gives us the power for living. But we have to tie into that power so that we can live out our faith the way that He wants us to. The fourth thing in our box is actually in verse 4. If you notice what it says there, it says He's granted to us His precious and very great promises. 
He's given us His Word. And He's protected it. He's preserved it for us so that we can follow Him effectively. But you know, it's so interesting. This word granted is describing something of great value that you've received. You and I have received something of great value in God's Word. We've received His promises that are true and we can follow. It's very interesting. This is just a side note. You, you may not find this interesting, but this word is also used in Mark 15, 45, when Pilate, Pontius Pilate, gives grants Joseph of Arimathea to take the body of Jesus. Mark is trying to make sure the readers caught that Joseph received something very precious and valuable. He received the very body of Jesus, and he was to care for it and given an appropriate burial. But in our passage, this word is trying to help us see that we have something of great value. It's his promises. So you know what we've seen in our box that you and I have to make sure we open and take full advantage of is four things. A personal relationship with God. We have the ability to express faith and trust and rely on Him in His promises. We have the power through the Holy Spirit to live a life of faithfulness and God's Word leads and guides us and helps us cultivate and develop a relationship with Him. We can't leave those sitting on the shelf and try to live the Christian life the best way we can figure out. We have to take advantage of God's resources. Because God wants us to grow and thrive despite of our circumstances. So I want to make sure I'm really clear about this and you don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to say that growing and, and thriving means that you're going to have an easy life and everything's going to be fine. You're not going to have any problems. That is not what Scripture teaches. <laughs> okay? In fact, you have to keep in mind that the readers of this letter lived during the reign of Nero, the Roman emperor. He was an exceedingly wicked man, and he was known for the persecution that he had launched against Christians. One of the things that he was known for was burning Christians alive in his garden at night for his own entertainment. The people reading this letter from Peter are trying to understand, how can I live through such hard times? And how can I do it in a way that brings God glory and honor? But what I want you to also notice is Peter does not give them a pass. He doesn't say, you know what? Yeah, life is really hard right now. Don't worry about growing. No, he doesn't give them a pass. The only way you're going to make it through is if you grow. That's how you're going to endure what comes your way. Growth will allow us to endure whatever circumstances might come in life. So I want to give you a statement that I want you to think through with me. Very, very careful. I'm going to say it a couple times. God's resources that we've just looked at do not make my efforts to grow unnecessary, but effective. God's resources do not make my efforts to grow unnecessary, but it makes them effective. Is I engage with God's resources that He's given me then I will grow. If I don't engage with them, I won't grow. It doesn't happen automatically. God didn't design it that way. 
That's why you and I have a responsibility. And that's the second point that I have for you this morning. In verses 5-9, through some assembly is required. Okay? Some assembly is required. Let me explain what I mean by that. Tom Hanks, if he never turned on the satellite phone, what good would that phone be for him? No value. If he didn't turn on the global positioning device to locate him, would that... What value was it? None. What value are the seeds if they stay in the, the package? None. And so what we need to do is we need to engage God's resources. That's my responsibility. That's your responsibility. We have to do that together. And when we do that, this is what happens. One author said it this way. Growth is a long-term endeavor. It involves both God and us. I liken it to crossing an ocean. Some people try day after day to be good, to become spiritually mature. That's like taking a rowboat across the ocean. It's exhausting and usually unsuccessful. Others have given up trying and throw themselves entirely on relying on God's grace. They're like drifters on a raft. They do nothing but hang on and hope God gets them there. Neither trying nor drifting are effective in bringing about spiritual transformation. A better image is the sailboat, which if it moves at all, it's a gift of the wind. We cannot control the wind, but a good sailor discerns where the wind is blowing and adjusts the sails accordingly. So what am I saying this morning? You and I must understand what our job is. We have to adjust the sails to catch the wind so that God, through His resources, can change us. You with me? I can't change myself. But if I'll do my part, God will change me. So let me read um, verses 5-9. through nine. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. What I want to do is I want to camp on the statement in verse 5 for a minute, which says, make every effort... Supplement your faith with virtue. See those three things? Make every effort. Supplement your faith with virtue. The word make every effort is, is more literally, you're trying your best. You're doing your best to bring alongside God's resources something. Okay? What's my responsibility? I have to do my best to bring alongside God's resources what? Virtue. We'll talk about virtue, what that means in a minute. But I want you to next look at supplement your faith. The word supplement sometimes is translated add. Add to your faith. Virtue. That's our responsibility. That word is a command. It's not a suggestion. You and I are responsible to add something to our faith, and that is virtue. But that only happens is we come alongside God's resources. 
so that we use those and God changes us and we grow. It's very interesting, this word supplement in Greek uh, is the, the word that gives us our English word choreograph. Okay, and it was used of a chorus director who lavishly provided for those in the chorus. And so what is God saying? It's almost like you and I are conductors of a symphony. And what is the symphony supposed to be? The increasing display of God's virtue in my life. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You and I are responsible to choreograph our lives with virtue so that the world can see God's character in and through us. And notice, what is virtue exactly? Virtue is moral excellence. The virtues that are listed, he gives you seven of them there. They're not sequential. That's not an all-inclusive list. But I do want you to notice the first and last. The first is faith. Faith is a foundation for all of the virtues. But the last virtue is love. And the love is last for emphasis because it's the crown jewel and the glue that holds everything together. So we're supposed to be growing in faith and eventually in love. Now, I don't know about you, but since I already told you that I became, I've been a Christian for 45 years, I'm pretty confident I can say that I'm a lot more like Jesus today than I was 45 years ago. Okay? Thankfully. Now, if you ask me if I'm a lot more like Jesus today than I was yesterday, I'd say not so much. <laughs> okay? Growth doesn't happen that way. God has designed growth so that it's slow, progressive, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to notice that the word virtue is actually mentioned back in verse 3. When Peter says that God called us to him by his own glory and excellence. Have you ever thought about what wooed you to consider embracing Jesus Christ as your Savior and God? What is it that brought you to that point where you were ready to believe? According to our text, the word virtue is translated excellence in verse 3. God used the moral excellence of Jesus and his character to draw us to him. That's one of the things that he's used. Now, how do we get to see the moral excellence of Jesus? Well, we get to see it through scripture, of course. But you know what else? Since I'm supposed to be displaying this virtue, that means you should be able to see it in me. And God can use others who are displaying his virtue to woo and draw to him. And you know, I'll tell you, that's how I became a Christian. There were two guys on my dorm floor as a freshman in college that were different. I couldn't figure them out. They had moral excellence. They had character. They had a countenance that was joyful. I did not understand them. And as I got to know them better and asked them what the difference was, one day they came to my door to share the gospel with me. <laughs> Jeff, this is the difference. You have to embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior and God. And then your life will change too. So you guys, so far what we've seen is you and I are responsible to bring alongside. We're commanded to conduct our lives lavishly 
with the increase of virtue. People should be able to see life change in us as we're following Christ. But you know, I want you to be encouraged here. It doesn't say that you have to have all seven of these virtues completely, does it? It says they're supposed to be increasing. Don't you find that? That's encouraging to me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I just need to be increasing. I don't have to have it completely because I'm never going to fully love like you want me to love. But I think I'm growing in love. God has designed growth for you and me to be slow and gradual. And so success is not perfection, but progression. I'm progressively becoming like Jesus more over time. As I was thinking of our, our time together, I, <clears throat> I came across a quote by, about James Garfield, who became president in 1881. And this is before he became president. He, was, um, he taught at Hiram College in Ohio. The ambidextrous Garfield would amuse his students by writing on a chalkboard with both hands, one in Greek and the other in Latin, at the same time. Can you imagine? I couldn't do that in English, could you? Writing in two different languages at the same time? It blows my mind. It's said that on one occasion, a father came to Garfield and complained that the academic course at the school was too long and arduous and asked if it could be shortened. Well, certainly, Garfield replied, but it all depends on what you want to make your, your boy. When God wants to make an oak tree, he takes 100 years. When he wants to make a squash, he requires only two months. <laughs> God is not in a rush to grow us. But it will take time. Your commitment, your dedication, your patience, and your use of God's resources. And if you'll do that, you will grow and you will thrive, regardless of the circumstances that come your way. And so that leads me to the rewards. Did you know that we have a God that is so unbelievably gracious that he rewards us for growing? I mean, is that, that, that blows my mind. He's so good to us. And so let me read verses 10 to 11. It says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail or fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've mentioned that there are four resources, right? I've mentioned that we have a responsibility to bring alongside a lavishly choreographed life that is uh, displaying an increase in God's character over time. And now I want to show you four rewards for growth. The first two are actually back in verse 8. <clears throat> and it says, if you are growing and increasing in these virtues, it keeps you from being unproductive or unfruitful. So what does that mean? Two benefits of growth in the here and now is that you'll be productive and you'll be fruitful. Let me tell you about this word, unproductive. It comes from two Greek words, without work. You're slothful, you're inactive, you're unemployed in God's kingdom if you're not growing. You're unemployed 
You want to be unemployed in God's kingdom? No, of course not. I want to be fully employed. And so what is Peter telling us uh, here is that we'll be fully employed in God's kingdom and productive if we grow in virtue and lavishly display God's character to a lost world. But the second thing is we're fruitful, right? We'll be fruitful. It says uh, we will not be without fruit. The word fruit is used in Galatians 5, the same word to describe the fruit of the Spirit. You and I will be fully employed in God's kingdom and fruitful in God's kingdom if we will apply His resources and grow. Isn't that encouraging? You can put that on your gravestone. Jeff Benda, a productive and fruitful Christian. And that'd be enough. Right? Isn't that encouraging uh, to you and to me? The third thing is mentioned in verse 10, which I just read. It says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. I don't want to get lost in this passage, okay? Because we could end up in a ditch here that's, I think, unintended. I like the NIV translation of this verse better. It says, make your calling and election sure. Make your calling and election sure. What does that mean? How do you make your calling and election sure? The word here that's translated sure can also mean to strengthen, to establish, to make firm, make reliable, durable, unshakable. What's Peter trying to help these readers understand? He's not wondering whether or not they're Christians. That's not the issue in this letter. The issue in this letter is, are they going to be able to endure the persecution that's awaiting them and they're experiencing right then? And he's saying, hey, the way that you're going to endure is if you grow, you're going to become unshakable in your faith so that you can endure whatever comes your way. So a better way to translate what we're trying to communicate here in this passage is I say, growth will make your faith firm, unalterable, or unshakable. Don't you want to be that Christian that can endure under whatever comes your way? The only way that's going to happen is if you're growing as a believer as in the way that we've described this morning. And then you and I will be like that mighty oak that Garfield was talking about. We'll be able to stand in the storms of life. That's what we're talking about here. So, so far what we've seen is three benefits for growth. You're fully employed in the kingdom. You're fruitful. And you'll become unshakable so that you'll be able to handle whatever life brings you. But notice how Joseph Dillow kind of summarizes this concept. Peter's meaning is that we must make our Christian lives impregnable against falling into sin by adding the virtues in the preceding context to our foundation of faith. We must strengthen our lives. This will make us unshakable and firm in the midst of suffering. That's what you and I must be doing. And our circumstances right now should not hinder us in our efforts to grow. So three temporal benefits. Let me tell you about an eternal reward. And that's in verse three, uh, verse 11. <clears throat> there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. There will be richly provided for you an entrance 
into the eternal kingdom. Now, what does this mean? It's very interesting. The word provided there is the same word that in verse 5 was translated supply. It was a command for you and I to lavishly choreograph our lives with virtue. This is not a command for you and I. It's passive. And so what that means, instead of performing the action of the verb, we're receiving the action of the verb. God is performing the action of the verb. And what is He performing? He's lavishly going to choreograph a grand entrance into His kingdom because we've been growing as a faithful believer. Don't you want that kind of a welcome into the kingdom? I know I do. But that's reserved for those who are faithful and growing. And I believe this is in contrast to being saved as through fire in 1 Corinthians 3.15. Do you remember that passage? Where it talks about an unfaithful believer who works, whose works are all burned up. It's as though he went through a fire and he smells like smoke, but he still made it into heaven. Okay? That's not the kind of entrance I hope for as a believer. Do you? I would much prefer God's lavish expression and choreographed entrance into His kingdom where we get to hear, well done, a good and faithful servant. Notice uh, one scholar has summarized it this way. The future for the Christian who diligently pursues holiness is very bright. He will be welcomed richly into the eternal kingdom. He'll not barely make it into the kingdom or be saved only as one escaping through the flames, but he'll receive his Lord's well done good and faithful servant. Some have even proposed that this is a description of victorious Olympic athletes returning to their hometown where they're welcomed with a parade. Isn't that exciting? I don't really earn that. God just freely gives that because I want to grow in my relationship with Him and He's given me all the resources and is one that causes my growth. I just have to come alongside His resources so that growth happens. So the exhortation for the readers is they must press on toward Christian maturity regardless of their circumstances. The person not increasing in Christian virtue, and if that's you this morning, you've lost sight of God's resources for living. And you've lost sight of your responsibility in the Christian life. You and I must engage and take responsibility for our growth. So I hope you're encouraged this morning. Encouraged because God has given us the resources that we need to thrive and grow as a Christian. Encouraged because He's willing to reward us temporally and eternally for such growth. But I hope you're also challenged and will take the challenge that yes, I will take responsibility for my growth and I will grow by using God's resources as we described this morning. You know, in conclusion, <clears throat> Joe Theismann, since it is football time, right? Joe Theismann was an outstanding quarterback for the Washington Redskins for 12 years. He led the team to the Super Bowl twice, winning in 1983 and losing the next year. He gave the reason his team lost in 1984. I got stagnant. I thought the team revolved around me. I should have known it was time to go when I didn't care whether my pass hit Art Monk and the eight or the one on his uniform. When we went back to the Super Bowl, my approach had changed. I was, going, I was griping about the weather, my shoes, practice times, everything. Today, I wear my two rings. 
the winner's ring from Super Bowl 17 and the loser's ring from Super Bowl 18. The difference in those two rings lies in applying oneself and in not accepting anything but the best. So my question for you this morning, which game are you playing right now with your life? Are you in the first game where you're giving it your best to win the Super Bowl? You're using God's resources to help you grow? Or are you playing the second game where you've become stagnant and are drifting, living as though your life now really doesn't matter? I'm here to tell you this morning, and God is here to tell us all this morning, how you live your life does matter today. There's benefit now for you as you grow, and there's a rich welcome waiting for you in the eternal kingdom if you will grow. So my challenge is please use God's resources to grow and take responsibility for your life and become the kind of disciple that Jesus wants you to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Um, You've saved us by grace through faith and only because of what Jesus has done for us. But Lord, thank you for not leaving us as orphans and just saying good luck, see you in heaven. Uh, Lord, thank you for giving us the resources we need for life here. Not just to survive, but to thrive as we grow. Lord, help all of us to discern how we can most effectively take responsibility for our growth and give us your grace to allow growth to happen in our lives. Help us become who you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.